Let us turn now to Genesis chapter 35. I'll start reading with verse 21 and then read through to the end of the chapter. It's just a few verses. But anyway, Genesis 35, 21. Uh, then, Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham, Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. The title of the sermon today is uh, Israel Portrayed. And what we have here today, it's the, uh, the end of one section and the transition into the next. Now, for visitors that we have, we've been dealing with these scriptures, focusing on family relations and focusing on what insights we could get in terms of rearing our own families today. So we focused, I mean, we've touched base on some of the theological ideas, but we really focused throughout this on on the families, and it's been really surprising some of the things that we've seen uh, having to do with the family of God at this time. We've stressed again and again that there was only one family of God at this time. It was not like there were hundreds of communities or thousands of communities like we have today, where you'd have uh, some assortment of Christian examples and families and groups and clans and that sort of thing. There was only one clan family at this time, and that was the family, the clan of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have just begun to look at uh, the life of Jacob. And uh, we are now at the place where we're going to start studying the, the sons of Jacob, the 12 sons, as they developed into tribes. And so uh, this, this section, though, it's kind of, if you're reading through the Bible, you come upon these sections where it's kind of odd. You, you, read, you read what you read, but then you think, well, why, why is that there? Why does God put it that way? And um, this, the, the, the main gist of this it starts in verse, um, uh, at the end of verse 22 and then verse 23, where it gives the, the, the names of the 12 sons of Jacob, and then it covers the death of Isaac. And as I said, this is a transition. It's a kind of, uh, of refrain that you sometimes see in the Bible. When you start reading the Bible, you see in Genesis 1 that it talks about the creation of, uh, of, uh, of man. And then there are refrains in the early Genesis where it goes back, re recapitulates back to that story. 
and maybe add some more details like the creation of Eve and um, and it'll but it goes over some of the same things it says there and we notice here in verse um, <clears throat> in this chapter in verse 11 uh, we covered last week it said God said to Jacob or to him I am God Almighty be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come uh, from your loins or your body and the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you well this is simply a refrain or a recapitulation to the great promise that God has made to Abraham Isaac and now to Jacob and, and at each generational transition you see God repeating these words he wants them to think about that he wants these to be the, the main flags that they notice and they remember yes this is what we're about and so God wants our families to think the same way he wants he doesn't he wants our families to develop their own uniqueness their own unique gifts and some of their own ethos but he wants us to also keep our eye on the big picture which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ the family of God and the kingdom of God as that develops through and around those families and so <clears throat> What we see here at the end of chapter 35 is that God is um, calling attention to the fact that he's going to do big things through these 12 tribes. Now you think about it for a minute. How would you, if you were going about trying to establish a nation, a nation state in this world that was dedicated to the Lord, how would you go about that? What, what plans would you make? What, uh, how would you execute those plans? Well, we have here in God's stipulation about these 12 sons. First of all, his bringing about the 12 sons, and then his organization of Israel around these 12 sons. We have God's blueprint for the organization or for the orchestration of this nation state of Israel. God, I, I don't think that they, the people of Israel had um, a real full orbed understanding of how God was going to do this Abraham and Isaac both had promises that were made to them that, that God was going to bless their family that God was going to make a whole nation out of their family but how does God do that and we see that he that when he when he uh, blesses uh, J Jacob with these 12 children these 12 sons I should say uh, also some uh, at least one daughter with Dinah but uh, when God blesses him with these 12 sons, we see how the, the network, how the, the model is beginning to form, to form a whole nation state. And so God gave, God gave Jacob as the covenant head, he gave him these 12 sons, and then the 12 sons eventually uh, make 12 tribes. These, these 12 sons eventually go down to Egypt. Remember, and while they're in Egypt, well, they were, they, were, they were being productive before Egypt. They were having children. And the 12 tribes, each of the 12 tribes was multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Then they went down to Egypt. They were kind of tricked or trapped into a slavery for a generation or two. And then uh, God brings them out through the ministrations of Joseph, who's one of the 12. And they, they, when they come back into the land, of e that they were they came back to this land that Abraham Isaac and, J and Jacob were were uh, frequenting as 
uh, somewhat nomadically, but they come back in and they're a whole, a whole organized uh, society. These 12 tribes have grown and grown and grown, and the 12 tribes, the 12 tri clans, become actually 12 states, like the United States of America. And these 12 tribes, they're, they're all independent tribes, like independent states like Pennsylvania or Ohio or Florida or California, uh, wanton as it is. <laughs> we interject a few editorial comments here, here in a while in the sermon, but uh, uh, these 12 tribes began to develop and, uh, and they, they had their different personalities. They, they were each known for certain blessings and for certain vices, but they developed. And so the ancient world at that time, you had places like Assyria, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, um, Phoenicia on the coast, and uh, uh, the, the people of Canaan that got um, uh, uh, removed uh, from their land so that Israel could settle there. You had all of these groups, but they're, they're watching, in, a sense, in essence, what God is doing. And, um, and what they see is that, the, that God had a plan. And God was executing that plan. And the plan was, was working out through this one family, through uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with Jacob, we see the real, um, the real bringing to pass of this plan. Now, I doubt that they understood it totally. I mean, they were just uh, all the different sons here that were Simeon and Reuben, the firstborn, Simeon, Levi, became the... Levitical, the priest, the priestly family, Judah, Issachar. We know that uh, the Levi, the way that Moses developed the law of uh, that he was given by God, that Levi did not inherit any physical land. Uh, they became the priestly family, and they took care of the church throughout Israel. And we know that Joseph's uh, two children, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, one of them became the inheritor for J in Joseph's name, but the other became the inheritor under Levi's name. So that J Joseph, as one of the 12 sons, was doubly blessed and that his, his children were uh, received this double blessing of land. And if you look on the maps of Israel, um, uh, Ephraim became a major tribe. In fact, sometimes, all, sometimes northern Israel is just called Ephraim when they, after they divided but if you look at a map, Ephraim and Manasseh both received large portions of land, whereas other tribes like Gad, Issachar, received a smaller areas to develop in. So we see God's wisdom and God's sovereign ordaining of strength and organization, these kinds of things, working. But in the end, in the end, these 12 tribes, these began just as brothers and sisters. But in the end, each brother, think of your family, Think, I was see back there with the Ruffners, we see Charlie and Louie, and think of each one of them being having a tribe all of their own, that they that their family would become more and more significant. Uh, and uh, each of the kids in the church here could think of that, they, that, they're, that they, they would be the progenitor or the producer of a whole tribe of people that would become like the state of Ohio or the state of Pennsylvania or New York or one of, or one of the other states, Indiana, whichever you might choose. And so uh, we see here that as God um, refers to these 12 sons, we, we, because we've read the Bible and we know the whole picture, we see that his development and his ideas are very dynamic. And, and uh, in the end, that we, we think of the nation of Israel as it was when Jesus came into the world. 
And it was very different than it was right now. That, that, that was more of the end product. And, and then we see that in, in the, verse, the verse that we read in verse 35, chapter 35, that said, God said, I will be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come proceed from you. So he was prophesying here both that Israel would be raised up, a nation, a mighty nation, the nation of Israel, but then a company of nations. So here we are, the United States of America. We were part of God's plan way back then. And God executed that plan and planted nations like Greece and America and France and Norway and all of these other nations of the world. God, God planned them and God planted them using the paradigm of Israel itself as the original part of the plan. And so um, <clears throat> I think these things are really important because we, we live in a day where there is great political confusion in the land and where people just have no, they, they apparently have no idea of how to organize themselves anymore. Our families are breaking down so that people are not even sure how to organize a family. The, the whole idea of fatherhood and motherhood is breaking down. People cannot recline to the instincts that they learn from their fathers and their mothers because so many of them are born outside the covenant and broken down families and organizations like that. But there is one uh, core developing group of people in the midst of all of these na Western nations, which is what? This is the Church of Jesus Christ, who is still going along because we have the paradigm that God gave us way back here. And we're looking at it in this perspective, we're looking at it forward because God was just bringing these things to pass. He was just enlarging. He was allowing Reuben and Gad and, and uh, Judah uh, Levi, he was allowing them to have children, and he was blessing the children, blessing the wives that they had, blessing the mothers that they had, so that they were bearing more and more children, and the children weren't dying, like as often the case in the ancient world, but uh, so that they were adding up, they were collecting, and the families were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and God was using that to plant this nation. Now, why? Why was he planting this nation? We've emphasized this before. God, God's idea, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The whole human race fell into sin. God's first plan for changing that situation was by, by winning a beachhead like Marines might do in, the, in a war in the Pacific. God wanted a beachhead to be won, and Israel was that beachhead. And so he, he ordained one nation that that would reflect his organization and his glory and his truth. And so once Israel was formed, they became that. And, and uh, Israel becomes the model for the New Testament world. The, the, the 12 disciples were modeled as the covenant heads like the 12 sons of Jacob were. But instead of just being a physical nation, they were kind of a philosophical, theological nation. And uh, each of the 12 disciples became apostles, and they, they organized the church uh, around this, this ancient model. And, and here Moses, as he writes the book of Genesis, Moses is pointing to that. So the first, the first principle we see here in terms of the sermon is God's plan in seed form. We, we see as he goes over these 12 
sons again. And now he speaks of them as tribes and says that, that, this, that he was working with these to, to bring about his plans. Now the second thing we see here in this passage, and it's kind of jarring the way it's just put together, but we see how the visible church is so imperfect. And we've been pointing out this as we've talked about the families. We, we've looked at the different family problems that the text of Scripture has brought to us in Genesis. A lot of times we come to the Bible with a kind of an idealism. We, 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 we like to improve upon God's plans so that uh, everything goes smoothly. You know, uh, Abraham marries Sarah and uh they don't have trouble with child rearing. You know, the, the, a nation is supposed to come forth from Abraham, so it just happens naturally, right? Not. <laughs> you know, Sarah is, is if Sarah is infertile, she's barren. And then the, uh, each of the, the girls had pr- troubles in their own way, too. With Rebecca first and then Rachel, so less. But um, uh, these problems were there, and, uh, and they point to the imperfections. And we dealt two weeks ago with the idea of the the rape of Dinah. And I, I ask you to think about this. Here's the, God's holy family, the, 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 the special family of God. And here the one daughter that was prominent at that time, uh, Dinah, uh, what, for however, whatever went into it in terms of good plans or bad plans, she ends up getting raped by and, and brought in as almost a captive into the house of of, uh, of Shechem. And uh, there's some point, there's some signs of affection between the two kids. But Shechem was a pagan. He was a, from a pagan family, and Dinah was not. She was from the covenant family. And the world, the world wanted to say to us at that time, there's no difference between these two. Uh, they, they encouraged Jacob to just marry, intermarry with them and they would intermarry with Jacob's family and everybody would be happy because we'd be this big diversity, this big melting pot without the covenant head of the living God as its head. But everybody would be happy. That's I, I pointed out how this is one of the gospels that we hear today. Your theology doesn't matter. Your philosophy doesn't matter. Your God doesn't matter. Let's all just get together. And uh, and the blessing will come from diversity. Uh, We see that that is a a false idea and that that uh, was wrong. Well, here we see right before God deals with the 12, what does it say? It says, And it happened that when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. He was the oldest boy. He was supposed to be a paradigm and a model for his younger brothers and sisters. And yet here he he takes this woman that was a kind of wife to his his father, uh, Isaac, (coughs) Jacob, I mean, and... um, and uh, he has sexual relations with her. Think about that. This is the this is the son that you're really depending upon. Does he not? Did he not know anything of the of the revelation of Moses when he said that uh, that uh, brothers and sisters shouldn't uh, have sexual relations? That if you're if if you're uh, 
if your father uh, died, you should not marry his wife, your mother, or a stepmother. There are all of these regulations in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus that point out that there were lines of sanctity and lines of holiness, especially as it related to sexuality within the families. But here's Reuben, the oldest son, who should have known better, who should have been that paradigm for his brothers and sisters. He uh, has sexual relations with Bilhah, which is uh, uh, an anomaly and a, and a catastrophe in a sense, ethically. And we see that because at the end of the verse, it says, um, it, it points out that she was his father's concubine, which which points out that she was the private property of her, of her, of their of Reuben's father. And then it says, and Israel heard about it. In other words, as this word spread throughout Israel, the, the other, the larger family, they realized that it was an abomination. It struck them that way. They had, they had the instinctual awareness that this was an aberration. It was not what God had ordained. And yet, this was happens. Here you are. You've got the family just starting, starting the nation. It's uh, it's like they're building the foundation, and right away there's a big crack in one of the pylons upon which the house is constructed. You see how crazy this is. Now, why did God permit that? Why did God allow that? It's because in the family of God, we are all in a state of redemption and it doesn't go smoothly it's not a straight line samson had his problems with delilah david had his problems sexually uh, uh, in his day and so uh, god wants us to take these things seriously he wants us to realize that we are all people who are weak in so many ways and each one of us needs to take care of his own house his own self we all need to be dedicated to working out our own salvation in fear and trembling because uh, as reuben we can affect our brothers and sisters we can affect the other tribes if we let down if we aren't careful we discourage and uh, we contaminate the people around us but god juxtaposes this with the very next verse now the sons of jacob were 12 and this just points out, when you read through Genesis and when you think of it in terms of the family, you see problem after problem after problem, catastrophe in some cases, after catastrophe after catastrophe. But above that, you see the sovereign hand of God taking these sin-prone people. So, you know, if you look at your family and you say, well, we got problems, Lord, that are just too big. We, we, we can no longer be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. We're just too bad. We're, we're, we're you know, you could call our family loser family number one. And that we know that there's no room for losers in the church of Christ. Well, you see, in the Bible, it's the very opposite of that. God, God takes us. When we do fall, when we do sin, God says, Repent, pick yourself up, and get moving forward. And take whatever weaknesses you had, whatever failures you had, and use those for good in the future. But we don't stop. We keep pressing toward the mark, as it says in the New Testament. Pressing toward the mark. Sometimes when people have sins occur in their families, 
maybe homosexuality occurs, something like that. And it, it so discourages the family that they end up leaving the church. Or a, a child, son or a daughter gets pregnant out of wedlock. As, uh, as, uh, in, as, as indicated, was Dinah was on the way to that. And so the mothers and fathers get so embarrassed because their sin has been manifested in the church, in the flock of God, in the, in the, in the clan. So they get so discouraged that they, they think that they ought to leave, they have to go away. Uh, this is the, the these are the, the machinations and the confusions of the devil. Walking away from the church of God is never the way forward. Is never the way forward to make progress in the church of Christ. And so, uh, I believe that that's one of the reasons why we see incidents like this that are that are brought to pass here. Now, the third thing that I wanted to point out was that uh, we we see here, and this has been one of the sub themes in the last couple of chapters. We see Jacob having a fixed mind and realizing that he had to reunite with the the, uh, the faithful clan, with the traditions of Abraham and Isaac, his father. He was way off, hundreds of miles away, trying to get two wives, trying to get a wife, ends up two wives. Uh, but he was way over there. And he, now he comes back. He leaves Laban. He's coming back to Israel. On the way back, remember, he ran into... Esau, he, he, when they left, they were bitter enemies, brothers. But as he comes back 20 years later, the Lord has worked in Esau's heart and, um, and uh, his soft, softened his heart so that no longer does Esau want to kill Jacob, uh, but now he's willing to be more friendly with Jacob. And uh, I won't rehearse the whole story that we've gone over in the sermons the last few weeks, but... Um, but and the wrong angle, or the, the one of the problems that we see, even with his development of good, Esau doesn't want to kill Jacob anymore. Praise the Lord for that. But Esau is ready to seduce Jacob into this world of diversity, multi-polytheisms, and that sort of thing. Because we, we went over it before, how, how Esau uh, was the father of the Edomites. He left Israel. He he was so in love with what his family was doing, and he was so in, lo in love with their kind of secular approach to life, the, their anti-Jehovah form of life, that they developed into a separate nation. Our religions create culture. Cults create cultures. And in this case, Edom was not the culture of God. It was not the kingdom of God. Now, as Jacob comes back into the land, uh, Esau says, come with me, come to Seir. Let us settle together. Let us, you know, make like two brothers that love each other. Sounds great. But we see the third thing here is that Jacob reunites with the true church. Verse 27. It says there, Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. You see, he's following the, the godly line. <clears throat> He sees significance in what Abraham had done, the, the purity of worship that Abraham and Isaac had before. And so he sees the necessity as the next great patriarchal head of this clan to identify himself with the godly line. 
how infrequently do we find that today in today's world? So often people are seduced by the ungodly. They're more attracted by the people that are making more mistakes. Uh, they, 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 they're intrigued with uh, uh, the divergent cultures of paganism and polytheism. And they think that the diversity is uh, just because of its uniqueness, it's unique in the sense that it's different, that that holds the, the way forward, that that holds the way of promise. But we have to say, no, there's no... Uh, the idea of diversity does not have within itself uh, these great promises of productivity and blessing. That's just an idea. Who has within themselves the idea of productivity and real blessing? Is it not the Lord himself? And so we cannot, we cannot obtain blessing by mixing uh, paganism or false gods with the true God. We've got, to, we've got to find, we've got to sort these gods out and say, which is true? Which is really true? Which god is really there? And having determined that, then we need to follow him. And so Jacob, this is going on in Jacob's mind. And God, through, through the travels of Jacob, through the dreams that he has, through wrestling with the angel and that sort of thing, God is constantly sanctifying Jacob and refining him and helping him to be that great clan leader that he came to be. And so here he's coming back uh, from the land of Padam Aram, uh, from Mesopotamia, from where Abraham's family came originally. He's coming back to Israel, and he, like a Geiger counter or like a compass that is directed him, his, his compass is set to find uh, Abraham and Isaac, uh, the, the, his people from before, the godly tradition. And, uh, and so that's uh, a real part of the story. Now in chapter 36 that we'll look at next week, God touches, God turns, and God develops, God uh, features and focuses and, and helps us to understand something of what happened to Esau and the ungodly line. So before, right before that, God gives us this, uh, this he portrays Israel as it was intended to be. He gives us Israel, the, the plan, he, his plan in seed form. He shows us that, that while there's imperfections in the visible church and in the church of God at that time, that, that there is a way that, uh, that is... Uh, that is developed, identified with Abraham and Isaac, and uh, and he gives, he shows us how Jacob had the right compass in his heart, where he was going toward that which was good. And then the last thing we see here in this text is that Isaac dies. I I, I subtitled this Isaac dies for real because remember Isaac has already had an, a, a a famous incident with death. You remember that. What was it? Uh, God told his father to make a sacrifice out of Isaac. Remember that? And, uh, and uh, Abraham didn't understand, but he obeyed the Lord and he took Isaac and he put him on, on an offering block. And just as he was to plunge the knife into Isaac to make, to make him an offering, God stayed his hand. And he said, no, Isaac, I've provided a lamb for you. I've provided a sheep uh, caught in a thicket. And that's what you're supposed to sacrifice. And by this, God was trying to show, and he did show um, Abraham, that he was going to send a savior for him and his people, and that they were going to be 
a, a saved people, a people that grew off of this, this magnificent sacrifice, which we know ultimately became our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's Isaac, who, when he was a child, began his life with the idea of death hanging over him. And the mystery of why God did that, and we see him finally now, 180 years or old or so, we see him finally uh, breathing his last. And he, he dies for real. Uh, but he dies in hope. And he dies within the, the Krishna tradition of that day. Recently, um, I had a, a case where uh, I was dealing with a, a family. There was a death within the family. And there were children involved. I was, uh, was out in the parking lot. Uh, of a hospital, and um, uh, the, 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 the children were in the car, and the father, the, the mother had died in the hospital. The father came out and had to break the news to the children. It was brutal, brutal news, brutal a message. And so the, the kids were in the back of the car, and, um, and the father uh, kept saying uh, to the children, your mother is dead, your mother is dead, and the kids are wailing, you know, it was just chaos in the back of the car. And uh, um, they, they had, but they, they had made an obvious, the father had made an obvious profession of faith to me uh, inside that he, he said, I'm a Christian, and, you know, my wife was a Christian. So here they are in the car, they're in this total chaos. And the, as they're trying to deville, uh, d d d d tell the children about the death of their mother. And uh, it, it just looked so dark. And all they were doing was focusing on death. And so I finally interjected. You, know, you, don't, you want to be careful when you interject these things. But I said, I said, but I said, if your mom believed in Christ, then there's life, uh, there's life for her. She's not dead. She's risen with Christ. <laughs> And the father kind of recoiled against me. He says, we know that. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, why didn't you say it? Then? You know, we know that. He said, you know, just stay, stay, stay out of our business, you know. But uh, I, just, I, was, I just thought these little kids, they need to have a, some thought of hope in their hearts. No, they don't, they don't need to be doused with this cold, wet blanket of death. It's just cruel for them. So I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, I, I think probably the father went home and thought to himself, you know, well, the, the chaplain was right. I, I just was I went overboard. You know, it's a terrible thing to, to face death, but we don't face it alone. And Jacob and his people didn't face it alone. They had this hope that stood behind them that God would provide a sacrifice that would allow them life after death or despite death. And so we as a people are like that too. And I think it's important as we rear our children that we don't try to hide death from them. We, we want to protect them, but protect them with Christ. Don't, don't protect them with the illusion that they're not going to die or that there is no death. Protect them with the idea of Christ that there is life after death. That because of Adam's sin, we must all die. But as we die in Adam's sin, we have a Savior who was able to raise us above. And so um, I, I see that, the, the kernel of that truth embedded here in this transition from uh, this, the, the singular family of Jacob to this, uh, the, the, the 12 sons of Jacob as they develop uh, more uh, broadly.
across the land. And uh, uh, I think it's, it's just wonderful to think, especially in our day, where there's so much confusion as to what a nation is, what its laws ought to be, what parents ought to be. We have, we've elevated a, a, a woman to be a Supreme Court justice that had troubles defining what a woman was. She refused to answer the question, what, can you define a woman? She answered in a kind of a sarcastic way uh, she, that she was not a biologist, so she couldn't define what a woman was. This is the kind of confusion we have today. But as Christians, as people of the book, as people of the way, we have guidance from above, guidance by the Lord. And we, each one of us, is like a prophet and a prophetess that is able to sow uh, the words of inspiration and the words of wisdom with ourselves, to our own hearts, to our families, and then to our neighbors and our communities. Will you be that voice of truth in the communities in which you move and live and have your being? Or will you simply be um, dumb and blind and not able to give that kind of message that the Lord would have us to give? Uh, we have before us Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the plans that God had there to revive the whole world after the fall of mankind into sin. And in that promise and hope, let us live. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might take to heart these lessons that we see in the life of Jacob and also Isaac and Abraham before him. And that you might give us a new courage <coughs> to speak into the cold temperatures and the uh, death inspired life that we see all around us. Oh God, we pray for our day. We pray for our neighbors and other families. We pray that you would bless our preaching once again and that you would open the windows of heaven and that we as Christian believing families that we might be given a spiritual advantage with others. That the things that we say instead of bringing about sarcasm and contempt that by the motivation of thy spirit, they would become winsome and wonderful, and that they all might point to Christ and his kingdom uh, through the message of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.